a Town Square media station. This is Luke Holmes. I am Morgan Wallen. I'm Riley Green. I'm Travis Denning. Hey, I'm Aaron Lewis. Hey, it's Luke Bryan. I'm Tim McGraw. What's up? This is Ian Munsick. Ah, uh, this is Craig Moore. And you're listening to Wyoming Hooking and Hunting Outdoors. My Country 95.5. Very excited for you to be here today. We have got a great show. We're going to talk some uh, very important information with Wyoming Game and Fish when it comes to diseases that are affecting the antelope and deer this year. It's called EHD, and I'm talking to some folks that haven't ever heard of that. So we will uh, get to the bottom of that in just a few minutes. We also will talk to uh, Joel Peterson, who's the CEO and president of the uh, Mule Deer Foundation based out of Utah and uh, coming through the area. So we're going to grab him and talk with him and see how things are moving along in the mule deer world. And then we will, of course, talk to Brian Woodard of, uh, of Rocky Mountain Discount Sports. He's the general manager right off COI Avenue here in Casper. And, uh, and when we talk to him, we're going to talk about the fact that he was out doing some elk hunting this week and uh, had some interesting experiences. We'll talk about that. We've also uh, got on the docket some of the information and the equipment that you need to take with you when you head out on your elk hunt because... Uh, it is officially rifle season this weekend. So if uh, you are ready to rock and roll, I am as well. Thank you so much again for tuning in to the uh, great show that we do here every week. And, of course, if you go to the My Country 95.5 mobile app, you can listen to all of the episodes on demand. Get over there and check it out. And if you have a question for us, you can uh, ask that question also at the My Country 95.5 mobile app. Let's get to Wyoming hooking and hunting outdoors. On Wyoming hooking and hunting outdoors with Drew Kirby on My Country 95.5. Wyoming hooking and hunting outdoors on My Country 95.5. Every week on this program, uh, Wyoming Game and Fish is a part of it because we want to make sure that you're clear on everything that's going on in this state when it comes to hunting, fishing, and just loving every day here in the Cowboy State. And uh, we have Janet and Justin with us today, and we're going to talk about some interesting things. We're kind of going to have a series because there have been some disease issues over the last few weeks that have come to light. And, and Janet, I think that uh, we definitely need to get this information out because it's pretty prominent right now. You're right, Drew. Um, just because we've had such crazy weather this fall, it's been a lot warmer than it typically has. We haven't had an early frost. We're seeing an outbreak of epizootic hemorrhagic disease, and I will not say that fast ten times. <laughs> I was just going to ask if you could. 
See, I knew it, but but we for short call it EHD, and and it can be kind of a problem in in a lot of our pronghorn and deer populations, also our elk. But but we're we're really concerned right now in a lot of places around the state, and we're here to talk to you about it. Now, can you explain what the big issue is with EHD, and and can it be spread? So EHD is a is a problem generally, Drew, and. In- that we see, well, we see it erupt occasionally, and it's it's usually periodic. We'll see it every several years. But when we do see it, it's, it's especially pronounced in these really warm, dry years. And most of the state has been under pretty extreme drought conditions this summer. This is a viral disease. Um, there's two types of, of these hemorrhagic diseases that we most commonly see. Um, we have EHD, like Janet said, epizootic hemorrhagic disease, and then we also it gets commonly confused with blue tongue. They're essentially identical diseases. We do differentiate for some reasons because some strains of blue tongue can affect um, some species and not others and that sort of thing. But a, a lot of hunters just generally refer to it as blue tongue. And this disease, is we see it most commonly in our whitetail populations, it tends to honestly be the biggest thing that regulates a lot of our whitetail herds. In a lot of cases, we don't, we can't get enough doe fawn harvest to regulate our whitetail numbers when the populations get really high, and then this disease will periodically come along and really set them back. In these bad years, like we're seeing now, um, we we actually can see it in, in antelope in quite a few places. And so, what this can do is it can just cause localized die-offs. So. It's a disease that kills the animal fairly rapidly. It'll, it'll kill them within a week or two of onset, or they're able to survive it. It's not always 100% fatal. Um, uh, but in, in years like this, um, we're seeing it, we're documenting quite a few areas, particularly in eastern, northeastern Wyoming. Um, the reason why we see this disease most commonly in, in the, the late summer and early fall is it, it's transmitted, and in these dry years, it's transmitted by, a little, by biting insects, most commonly a little biting midge. And we see it in these warm, dry periods because during a warm, dry summer, animals are more concentrated around fewer available water sources. And then on top of that, in those drier years, those that you you see more stagnant water sources on the landscape, and that provides ideal breeding habitat for the midges that that transmit the disease. So that's why it's especially pronounced in a year like this. You're out on your hunt, and you see the antelope that you would like to take. Is there any way that you can look at this animal from a distance and see if it has EHD? No, there's not. I mean, it, it, those animals that survive it can temporarily leave them fairly weakened. So if, if hunters do see an animal acting sick or, or in kind of bad condition, um, we always recommend that they don't harvest that animal anyway and, and, and in fact, rather report it. Um, so, yeah, there's a slight chance, but it's a fairly short window when, the, when a, a live animal is experiencing the, the clinical signs of that disease. So, Generally speaking, for the most part, hunters um, in these bad outbreak years will come across a dead animal, or we often get reports from landowners. Um, in the case, in this case, this year we've gotten lots of reports from folks using the Platte River, um, seeing dead deer along the river. But um, but yeah, it's it's either that or or they recover from it, and uh, and hunters are never the wiser. And and so Drew, we also want hunters to know that this is not transmissible 
to humans. And so that is not a concern at all. And so if you do harvest an animal with EHD, you don't need to modify your processing or consumption of that meat. Now, is there a certain reason why antelope and deer are susceptible to this type of disease where you don't didn't mention anything about like elk or, or moose or uh, mule deer? Mule deer can and do get it. Um, elk can't can and do get it. It's just, it's pretty rare in elk that we actually document any kind of significant die-offs from it. Um, elk are just tough, and, and for whatever reason, I, I guess I can't really speak to that, but they tend to just have a little bit more resistance to that disease. As an outdoorsman, as a hunter, as a lover of of the outdoors, how can we help prevent this from, from happening and spreading even more? It's really weather-dependent. Well, and, 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 you know, yeah, and, and if we're going to do rain dances here, we need to do it for all summer long because when we have really good wet years or even average, you know, just moisture years, and I'm saying spring throughout the summer, animals are just better distributed across the landscape. There's more available natural sources of water, things like that. Creeks flow better, all those sorts of things. So um, animals just don't concentrate as much. So yeah, and it's unfortunately these, these dry years and then a warm, dry fall on top of it. It's kind of um, all the stars aligned to make this a, a pretty bad hemorrhagic disease year. Awesome. Well, Game and Fish, of course, here to answer any of your questions. If you have more questions that you would like to find out more, it's always good to hit us up at the My Country mobile app, and then we can forward them on right to Janet or even Justin. And Justin, Janet, thank you so much, and we will talk at you next week. Take care, Drew. Wyoming hooking and hunting outdoors on My Country 95.5. We're always taking your questions for Game and Fish. You can go to the My Country 95.5 mobile app and submit that question with a chat with us. Janet Milik and Brian Olson, who is the wildlife supervisor, here to answer a question. The question, do kids need to have a hunting license? You know, and, and that seems like a really simple question um, at face value. But, boy, this goes back to complicated regulations. And the reason why Game and Fish is here is to help answer some of those questions. You know, it depends on what you're hunting, how old you are, if you're a resident, if you're a non-resident. There's all sorts of things that come into play here. And what are the uh, stipulations as far as the resident, non-resident? Because that's that's kind of an interesting question if you're coming from out of state. You're obviously a non-resident. But what if you move into the state? Well, you're still going to be a non-resident until you have residency established for one full year. And so the difference there often comes into what your your bag limit, your possession of, of critters can be. So that's, that's what the, the thing that often um, confuses folks is whether or not um, you can have a standalone bag limit, whether your bag limit goes into um, whomever you are hunting with, whether you have to be hunting with someone who has a license or not. And, and again, um, it can be very confusing. But one of the things that we do have is on our website, if you go to wgfd.yo.gov, in um, Hunting in Wyoming, which I believe is an orange tab up at the top, if you scroll about midway down, there's going to be a section that says additional hunting information. And if you look in there, there is a really great group of PDFs, and I think it's nine or ten pages long, that has actual flowcharts. At what age should a child or should a, a mother and father send their child through a hunter education program course? Because that all leads into uh, obtaining a license in the future. 
Yeah, most certainly, uh, Drew. The one thing that they can remember is if, if they feel the child is able to read and does well in school and things like that, um, there's, there's actually no age limit. So if uh, your, your child struggles a little bit in school, they might need some help with a parent to, uh, you know, take the class and maybe help them out, maybe have one of the instructors read the test exam for them. But it's the interest and having your parent there with you in the class. We don't have an age limit for hunter safety, and we recommend kids to get that hunter safety class as soon as they can. Most kids wait till they're like 10, 11, or 12, but certainly they can get it before that age if they want to. And I'm sure there's some parents that maybe took it as a kid, and now they're old enough to have children themselves, and probably be a good idea to just go sit through the class and refresh themselves. Absolutely, because you know as well as I do, if you have your parent in class with you, with the child, they do so much better, and it's going to be a family, um, you know, recreational activity anyway, where the mom and dad um, are actually going to go out with the kid on their first hunt anyway and kind of build that tradition of making it more of a family affair. So I think it's a great idea for the parents to show up and take the class with their child. It's a good idea for you to go get brushed up on this information. Again, you can go to wgfd.wild.gov slash hunting and get all the information you need. And as always, we do appreciate you guys uh, for answering these questions. Hey, not a problem. To Wyoming hooking and hunting outdoors. My Country 95.5. It's another great week here at Rocky Mountain Discount Sports with Brian Woodward, the general manager and Elk Slayer of the Year. <laughs> uh, you've had a, a pretty productive week. It was a good week. Uh, just finally got out to do a little uh, archery uh, hunting for this last weekend and got out Sunday night and had some. Uh, good friend that uh, took me out and we uh, we got her done when uh, when you go out and you look every day at the products that you guys have here in the store and then you're able to put that to good use i mean that's that's pretty good uh, testimonial right there you know um i you know i bought a, a, a traditional compound bow you know and and shoot it a little bit and feel like i was pretty accurate but i didn't really put the time and effort into it this year and uh grabbed one of our raven crossbows and uh had that sighted into about 80 yards pretty consistently and felt pretty good about it. So, yeah, when the opportunity came to go out uh, hunting, that raven definitely uh, did the job. That's one of the great parts uh, about uh, Rocky Mountain Discount Sports is if you're in a pinch like that, if, if you break a piece of your equipment, if your bow is messed up, you can come right in and you guys will get them set up and they'll be able to go out the next day. Yeah, we you know we try to do what we can to get people back in the field. We had a guy today with a crossbow that uh, he had a malfunction on and it's the last day of archery season for most cases and we uh, just happened to have you know just this random part that was able to get him back in the field this afternoon. So yeah. So you get that kind of service when you come over here to Rocky Mountain Discount Sports, just off CY here in Casper. And uh, Brian, we were talking about the fact that that when people come into the area to do hunting and they're not from the area, they they draw their license for here. Uh, maybe they're not familiar as much with the area. And you actually had that happen this week to where you were able to sit down with a patron someone that just walked in and help them out a little bit but you also have all the tools here in store for that yeah we're obviously not experts on every uh, hunt area in the state but you know a gentleman came in this morning and was uh, kind of questioning his antelope boundaries and 
we were able to, with the help of Onyx Map and the Game and Fish regulations, read through his areas, see what the northern boundary was, what the southern boundary was, and uh, take a map and highlight it out for him and tell him these are the areas and, uh, you know, here's, here's where it looks like you have the best access with BLM maps, atlases, Onyx map chips, yeah, we 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 got them we got them headed the right direction. Sometimes when you go into the backcountry, maybe you're not really familiar with the area. You guys actually have the tools that it's, I guess, kind of like a a, a a safety net because sometimes your phones don't work, but you can get all these chips that will pick up satellite and help out. Yeah, anymore it seems like we 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 rely a lot on just modern day technology. Mm-hmm. But you know, even out here in Wyoming, we don't have very good cell phone coverages right. in a lot of these areas that we're hunting in. So, obviously, if you're using a, a Garmin GPS, that Garmin you know will pick up satellite readings pretty much everywhere that you're at. Um, now, with the with the use of the Onyx Map chip inside the Garmin, it's a great tool. Gives you landowners, gives you public versus private, BLM, state land boundaries, and your boundaries for each hunt area. Um, with the premium service, you have the opportunity to put it on your phone as well. And a lot of guys kind of get to the point where they're just utilizing their phone so much that they leave the Garmin behind. But a lot of areas, if you don't have cell phone coverage, unless you use the tools and download the offline maps, uh, then you're in good shape. But uh, we can kind of, you know, constantly are talking to people about, you know, how to how to effectively use their their items there. And you definitely want to know how to use it before you go out somewhere where you don't have cell service and right, kind yeah. of get a, a crap creek, you know. Well, and just just you know, good planning, right? I mean, the, most of those garments, you know, take a couple double A batteries, and you know, in my experience, I've had really good luck with like a lithium, you know, Energizer lithiums, and so, you know, I always recommend, you know, throw a couple extra batteries in your pack, make sure, or, or if you you are using your cell phone, maybe use one of those uh, Goal Zero uh, little battery pack chargers, so that you can get an extra charge or two while you're in the field. Now, you made a good point there with planning, and that definitely is something that you guys can help out with. Obviously, you're an an elk hunter and uh, you have deer hunters in the store and, and fishermen that go off and off the beaten path and you guys know exactly what you need to put in your pack as you're heading out because we're kind of in that odd area of weather where it's kind of nice during the day it gets really chilly at night and as you go higher up it's even worse oh yeah you just never know in wyoming exactly what you're going to come across so layering up properly you know and and making sure you got moisture wicking, uh, you know, clothing on that you're not going to get drenched and soaked in the the old school cotton shirt where you just kind of, yeah. you know, like you said, up up the creek with it. <laughs> <laughs> and, and we we've talked before about boots where that's very important. And you mentioned wicking, and when you get uh, are choosing your socks, it's always good to have that wicking material in your socks because you don't want your feet to get cold. Oh yeah, and it depends on you know what what time of year it is if you're you know. Know, at this time of year with the light lightweight hiking sock versus you know a big boot sock that you'd wear with a pair of bogs for a winter so mm-hmm. you know the snow stuff so uh we've got a really good selection of all that stuff right now so and as this weekend uh, we're right in the middle now of the first real weekend of of rifle season you guys still have an opportunity uh and and cases upon cases of optics if someone is having a bad time with the ones that they have yeah, and obviously with the price of ammo and the and the shortage of ammo right now, um, you know, if you if you've had problems with your scope or last season, you know, maybe you took a fall, 
uh, now's a good time to bring that in and you know double check, make sure it's bore sighted at least, get you close so you're not throwing a box of ammo down the down the, the lane without yeah, right. uh, hitting without hitting a target. So well, uh, I encourage you to get out here and check them out at Rocky Mountain Discount Sports where uh, Brian is here. I'm, you're out on the floor most days, so you're knowledgeable and helpful, and everybody that works here knows something about the outdoors because that's why they're here. I don't think we have anybody here that doesn't hunt or fish, so yeah. Get over here and check them out, CY Avenue in Casper, Rocky Mountain Discount Sports. Brian, thanks. Hey, thanks for having me. Hunting season. Wyoming hooking and hunting outdoors on My Country 95.5. Welcome back into the show. And of course, we always like to talk to folks from all different walks of life in the outdoors. And, uh, mule deer are very common in our area. Those critters are, are seem to be everywhere and all throughout the West. And so we thought we'd bring in Mule Deer Foundation CEO and president. Uh, his name is Joel Peterson. And Joel, you're fairly new to the mule deer, kind of like I am here to Wyoming. Yeah, I, I am pretty new. I'm just a little over six months into this new position. Kind of a little background with you. You were with the the National Wild Turkey Federation for a, a long time, and and you were very significant in, in helping that organization move along to the, the heights that they're at now, and, and that's kind of transferring over to the Mule Deer Foundation. Uh, and, and obviously wildlife and the outdoors is uh, pretty special to you. I've had a, a great run, a career in wildlife, and it really started out uh, growing up in Nebraska, hunting and fishing with my dad and my grandparents really gave me that passion. I was involved in Boy Scouts as well and uh, just being involved with the camping and the hiking and everything that went with that. About the time I was a sophomore in high school, uh, learning that there was such a thing as a wildlife biologist. And I thought, man, that's what I'm going to be when I grow up. And as you said, I was with uh, National Wild Turkey Federation. I was there for 22 years, seeing how that organization grew and evolved over time will serve me and uh, the staff and the members at Mule Deer Foundation well moving forward. How do the two foundations compare in the way that they're built? It's interesting. I think that Mule Deer Foundation was really a good fit for me because while it's two different critters that we're talking about, um, many of the the habitat needs that they have or the challenges that they face are the same between the organizations. And so much of the public policy work that the Mule Deer Foundation has been and is involved with uh, Turkey Federation was also involved with that over the years. Things like forest management, range management, hunter access, um, all those sorts of things are, are issues that I'm familiar with. The way that the organization delivers its conservation mission on the ground through partnership with the Forest Service and BLM, I was involved with the same basic programs with the Forest Service while I was at the Turkey Federation. And and then the fundraising side of things is very similar as well. And while that wasn't the area I was directly involved with a lot, certainly the familiarity with how the banquet system works and the the advantages to that and how to make them more efficient and successful are all things that transcend both organizations. One of the things that I do love about like the Mule Deer Foundation is the fact that education is one of the primary aspects of the organization because you want to make sure that everyone is educated on what goes into the organization and how they can help. But also when it comes to young kids, if uh, mom and dad wasn't a, a hunter, but the kid shows some signs, the whole family can get in involved on an education side. 
it, it's it's an important part of what the Mule Deer Foundation does is making sure that people have the resources to learn more about mule deer, their habitats, hunting opportunities, and things like that. Uh, but also be that resource to help make those connections, as you said, for those people that didn't grow up in those families. And we've got our our Muley program, we call it, which is uh, that the outreach program that's largely targeted at youth. But as as time goes on, we're going to uh, expand our outreach programs to see if we can meet some of the other uh, communities out there that aren't engaged. The Mule Deer Foundation has a new website. It's muledeer.org. Very simple to go find. And there you'll find how you can become a, a member and why is it so important for people to become a member of the Mule Deer Foundation? Yeah, th- thanks for that. Thanks for the plug on the website. We're really proud of that. It's been something that's been in the works uh, since before I started uh, but the ease of navigation and our ability to tell our story on there, I think, is going to be great. Um, membership in organizations like Mule Deer Foundation is just – it's critically important. Um, uh, an annual membership is only $35 to our organization, but it gives you access to everything that we've got going on, the volunteer opportunities, the magazine um, – you can become more engaged and more informed as a person. Uh, so for us, part of it is the financial side. Obviously, we like those membership dollars yeah, coming right. in to help keep the doors of the organization open and, and to put, importantly, to put good work on the ground. But having a, a passionate volunteer base that we can communicate with about the important issues um, – it raises more excitement. I think people like to be part of a community, and that's one thing looking forward with Mule Deer Foundation that we're working to achieve is having all of those individual mule deer hunters out there or those people that are already part of a local chapter understand the bigger picture of what we're trying to do, what the threats are, and how they can be part of something bigger and be part of that larger community. Very good. Joel Peterson, Mule Deer Foundation, I do appreciate you making a stop. You're on a tour of Wyoming right now, and you're heading north, I think, right? Yep. I'm headed up to Sheridan to meet with some more folks up there over the next couple of days, and uh, lucky me, I drew an antelope tag, and so I'm going to finish out my tour here in Wyoming, uh, chasing some of those speed goats for a couple of days. Not too bad. Well, Joel, thank you so much. It was such a pleasure meeting you, and I look forward to lots of uh, future conversations with the Mule Deer Foundation. Great. Thank you so much for having me on today, and we look forward to, to sharing more about what we're doing in the months and years moving forward.